Hello, and welcome to Talking Brains. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Sarkis. Go ahead and click that subscribe button and rate us as well. It's appreciated. This episode, you'll learn more about collaborative law, including collaborative divorce, a non-adversarial way to put your kids' needs first in the event of a separation or divorce. I'm talking with Adam Cordover, an attorney specializing in collaborative law and based in Tampa, Florida. He's also a Florida Supreme Court certified family law mediator, and he's the editor and co-author with Forrest Mostyn of a recently published American Bar Association book on building a successful collaborative family law practice. He's also a member of the board of directors of the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals. Adam is also a founder and principal trainer of the Tampa Bay Collaborative Trainers and the Peacemaking Practice Trainers. Additionally, Adam served as a collaborative attorney and appellate counsel on Shaw v. Shaw, the first dissolution of marriage matter to challenge Florida's Defense of Marriage Act and constitutional ban against same-sex marriage. Adam holds a JD as well as a master's degree in international affairs from American University in Washington, D.C. Adam now practices exclusively in private dispute resolution and is managing attorney of Family Diplomacy, a collaborative law firm. You can learn more at familydiplomacy.com. So I'm talking with my friend Adam Cordover. Adam's an attorney in Tampa, and I met him uh, through my friend Karen. Uh, Karen is a a therapist uh, that I worked with in South Florida, and she introduced me to Adam, and she said, you know, you need to get involved with collaborative law. And she introduced me to you uh, at the Florida Academy of Collaborative Professionals, and that's their annual conference that we met at. So uh, tell me a little bit about collaborative law, collaborative divorce, and what drew you to practicing in that area? Sure, Stephanie, and, and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Uh, uh, it's, good, um, uh, it's, it's good speaking with you, and, and I'm happy to share about the collaborative law uh, process. So... Uh, collaborative practice begins with a pretty simple concept, and that's that that husbands and wives and mothers and fathers are better off resolving their disputes outside of court rather than battling it out in the public court system. Um, it starts off with each person. They have their own attorneys, and the attorneys are there solely for the purpose of helping them reach an out-of-court agreement. And this means that no time, no energy, and no money is spent doing uh, motion practice, opposition research, or any of the things that really can make divorce much more of a nightmare than it needs to be. And oftentimes they're involved uh, folks like yourself, uh, facilitators with uh, mental health backgrounds to help people communicate and to help develop uh, tailored parenting plans for the children, as well as financial professionals, uh, to make sure that people understand what there is to divide and to learn different options uh, about their financial futures. And really what, what drew me to this is the opportunity or at least the, the understanding that most people who are looking to go on their separate ways are not looking to make an enemy of their spouse. They're not looking to make an enemy of their co-parent. They're looking simply to be able to move on with their lives without doing harm to their children. And so I think that really aligned with my values. And that's your sole practice, right? It's collaborative at this point. Well, I, I do other things as well, but the important thing is that I don't litigate. I don't fight in court. Um, I also do mediation and unbundled services as well as name changes and adoptions, but uh, collaborative makes up the bulk of what I do. And you have a book that just came out, Building a Successful Collaborative Family Law Practice. Tell me a little bit about uh, your 
uh, idea behind the book and who it's for and how it will help others in collaborative law. Sure. Well, thank you. So I had the amazing opportunity uh, to attend a training back in 2015 by a gentleman by the name of Forrest Mostyn. And he's known as the father of unbundled services, which means um, family law work that isn't uh, full service in, in involving litigation. And he's been he very heavily involved in collaborative practice and in mediation for, for, for decades. And after that, I, I went up to him and I asked if he would be open to uh, writing a book together on building a successful collaborative family law practice. Um, and fortunately, he said yes, and we actually worked on it for about three years, and the American Bar Association just published it this past September. The whole premise of the book is that attorneys do not need to litigate in order to make a living, um, that you can do work that aligns with your, with your values and, um, and help families out in a better way. And I think that there's a lot of family law attorneys and, and other folks as well who really don't think that there is a market out there uh, for people who don't want to fight and people who just want to resolve their differences outside of court. And this uh, manual gives basically step-by-step -step instructions about how professionals can help families in a better way. And, um, and along the way, we actually... Uh, Woody and I, or uh, Woody is Force nickname, uh, Woody and I gathered a bunch of contributing authors to help us out, um, including a former president of the IACP, Ron Oski, um, uh, a Harvard Law uh, professor uh, by the name of David Hoffman, uh, as well as, as Bob Merlin, who uh, helped uh, lead the charge in getting the Uniform Collaborative Law Act passed here in, uh, in Florida. And, and a bunch of other, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. And and a bunch of other uh, great, uh, really experienced collaborative attorneys as well, and, and other collaborative professionals. And I I know that that you had told me that Florida is kind of one of the the front runners of collaborative law. Tell me a little bit about uh, you're talking about the law that had been implemented and uh, and how that's changed how things are done in Florida courts. Is that is that a good way to phrase that? Sure. Um, so. So for the longest time, uh, divorce was done in one essential way, which is that, um, and this is the way when you think of War of the Roses or, um, or Kramer versus Kramer, basically people hired attorneys to fight, to be their gladiators, and uh, they would fight in court and uh, make arguments about why one parent was better and the other parent was worse, um, and so on, and oftentimes these battles would last for years and years. Well, uh, uh, several decades ago, I uh, came an alternative to that, which was mediation. And mediation is where both people, um, both parents, they work together with a neutral mediator, uh, oftentimes alongside their attorneys, and they try to work things out privately. Uh, and mediation is a, is a great practice. The only thing is there's, um, there's nothing that is holding people in the process. So it's very easy to step out of mediation and then go right into court battle mode. Uh, with collaborative process, the attorneys are there, as I mentioned before, solely for the purpose of reaching an out-of-court agreement. And um, when the Uniform Collaborative Law Act was passed here in Florida, and it was just passed about two years ago, uh, basically there, uh, 
the the agreement or it used to be just a contract that the attorneys uh, could not appear in contested court hearings. Now it's got the force of law behind it. And um, and also because it's now a law, um, really if, if attorneys have not learned about the collaborative process or take, taken a collaborative training, they probably are not practicing um, in a way which best meets the needs of their clients. And um, so I guess just sort of as a tip for anybody um, who is considering going through divorce or has a family member going through divorce, um, they really ought to make sure that any attorney whom they speak with has been collaboratively trained so that they can give them the best advice possible. And I know who does collaborative training because I went to one of your first trainings. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and uh, and you are a great student, by the way. Um, oh, it, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> It, uh, there yeah, there we, were about uh, 60 of us, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know I was a star pupil. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was. You were. Um, and ac- actually, um, this, this past weekend, we, uh, I just got back from, from Pensacola. Um, I belong to a training group, the Tampa Bay Collaborative Trainers. And we just, uh, we just uh, taught a new crop of, of folks in Pensacola, Florida. And actually, in about a week or two, I'm really excited um, I, along with one of my co-trainers, Jeremy Gaze, we're actually going to be traveling to Israel uh, to do some advanced trainings over there, and we're going to be spending oh, a, wow. about about two weeks uh, over there. So uh, we're we're looking forward to that. And, and I'm going to be talking to Jeremy on the podcast in a little while, so they'll tie in nicely. Hopefully, uh, maybe they'll be after his trip, and he can tell me a little bit about that. Um, that's Great. wonderful that you're taking this worldwide. Uh, so tell me uh, for someone that. Let's say they're in a marriage where the other spouse has had a lot of control of the money and they don't really know what accounts they have and they don't really know uh, how to start living uh, where they're in charge of their own money. How does collaborative divorce help with that? Yeah, great question. You know, it's pretty common in marriages that there is one spouse who... Um, writes all the checks and pays all the bills and and perhaps manages the accounts and another spouse who um, you know who, who really doesn't know much about what happens with the finances of the family and they may not know even how to access accounts or um, or or what is there uh, the great thing about the collaborative process is that oftentimes you'll have a neutral financial professional there and and that person uh, they they can help out in various different ways like you probably heard the term uh, trust but verify. Well, the truth is that when most people are going through divorce, they don't especially trust one another, but they can verify. And and the financial professional in a collaborative case does allow, uh, does uh, serve essentially as a repository of information. And if there's something that looks a little bit suspicious, that that uh, professional can point it out and gather more information. Um, and so that really helps put both spouses on equal footing, even if they weren't necessarily on equal footing during the marriage, during the divorce, at least both of them can have access to um, to all the information that they need. And uh, something else that, that the financial professional can do, um, many times people don't necessarily know what they spend um, or or how much things cost um, on, on a monthly basis. And, um, and a financial professional can help a spouse who really hasn't done the, the, the 
um, sending out the bills or paying the bills, they can help them develop essentially a, a cash flow sheet or a budget um, to help them figure out, well, what do they spend um, on things every month and, um, and what can they expect to spend on things in the future? And it's so empowering for people to learn that information. It, it's amazing to see people just, they start sitting up straight, they start feeling like they can move on and, and be okay. And I think that that's such a powerful part of, of collaborative divorce. Uh, so I was wondering also, uh, how does collaborative divorce or collaborative law, how does it promote client privacy? Uh, yeah, another great question. Um, and, and by the way, I, I wanted to underline something that, that you just said, really the, the empowerment of the client. I think that's, that's pretty pow- uh, paramount to, um, to what we as collaborative professionals try to do. Um, in the traditional uh, court system, really the power is taken away from clients because they're not the ones who make decisions. Um, it's really the judges who make decisions. And so this process, we really try to empower them. And one of the ways that we do that is by making sure they've got the financial information they need in order to make smart decisions. Um, but, uh, and I'm sorry, what, what was the, what was the <laughs> other question? <laughs> so how does collaborative divorce or collaborative law, how does it promote client privacy? So, and this is one of the great things about the passage of the Uniform Collaborative Law Act. Um, it's and it, it created a new uh, privilege, uh, which essentially uh, stated that what is said during collaborative meetings are private and confidential, and cannot be used against you in court later on if, for some reason, the collaborative process did not work out, um, or there was some sort of enforcement action. Um, and and so, essentially, this means that unless both spouses agree. Um, if at some point they, they were to go to court, um, somebody could actually be penalized for discussing some of the things that were discussed in the collaborative process, but also uh, information that was created for the collaborative process. So, for example, um, many business owners uh, don't want uh, information about their business uh, getting out in the public domain for trade secrets or for other purposes. Or many teachers, for example, would prefer that their the details of their divorce not be splayed all over the court file for everybody to see, um, but to keep their privacy, to keep their dignity. Um, the collaborative process allows for all of that and allows for the minimal filing um, of, of information in order to finalize a dissolution of marriage. And, and just to clarify that for people that, that aren't familiar with the legal process, so when you go online or go to the courthouse, when you get your documents, it will not detail your kids and who got what and how you split everything. It just it shows basically that you just signed an agreement. Is that correct? Well, it, it really depends on the jurisdiction and it really depends on the court. And different judges and jurisdictions have different um, practices and preferences. And so... Really, there there may be some, some some judges require the filing of more information, and others uh, require less information. I found here, especially in Hillsborough County, um, most of the judges are allowing for really uh, a, a minimalization of the amount of information that goes in the public court record. And also, how does collaborative law promote stability of the couple and also their kids? Yeah, um, so. 
in the traditional divorce process, people made decisions oftentimes not based on what really was in the children's best interests, but based on fear of threats of litigation and what would happen um, what would happen if it were to go to court. Um, and because decisions on long-term issues and on you know precious things such as their children uh, were, were made not necessarily for, for the best of reasons, um, people oftentimes found themselves to be uh, somewhat resentful of of how um, you know of how their their matter turned out. And if people are resentful, it's less likely that they're going to ultimately follow a parenting plan um, or, or a marital settlement agreement. Um, and people were resentful if rather than them making decisions, the judges were making decisions. And it just created an environment which made it very difficult to co-parent together or to have any type of relationship in the future. Here with the collaborative process, we're taking away the adversarial uh, nature um, of divorce. And rather than um, husband and wife being considered opposing parties, as is in the traditional uh, divorce paradigm, they're considered co-parents or just simply husband and wife. And, and the other attorney in a case, they are not my opposing counsel. They're my teammate. And just this method, this, this different mindset of going through divorce allows for stability in the future because you can make decisions based on your long-term interests, based on truly what's in the best interests of your children rather than based on fear. And, and especially on the, on the children's part, um, because there is a facilitator involved, and again, they, they typically have training in childhood development, family communications, family dynamics, uh, a parenting plan can be developed, which is not just a, you know, a vanilla boilerplate parenting plan, but one that is truly tailored uh, to help their children be successful in the future, developmentally, emotionally, and in as many ways as possible. And I really like that about the parenting plan. You even get into details of, of exchange points and times and holidays and everything is written out ahead of time. So especially when, when there has been an agreement in collaborative divorce, and let's say you know, people have arguments sometimes, even you know, if they're co-parenting sure. successfully, and they can always go back to that parenting plan if either spouses or a former spouse has any questions about what the rules are that they're kind of going by, which I think really provides some nice structure for people, mm -hmm. especially when in an emotionally kind of trying time. So it's, it's not that collaborative divorce takes away the emotional part, but I, I think that it, it helps people move on more smoothly, would you say? Yeah, I, I, I definitely, I would say so. And, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. Look, I, I don't want to uh, sugarcoat this. Um, the truth is that it's divorce and divorce is tough. Um, and it's, it's not, necessarily an easy process. I just think it's quite frankly a better process than uh, the alternatives for most families. And, um, and, and you're right, um, you know, it, it takes into account that there will be disagreements in the future and there will be some changes. And, and oftentimes what happens is um, the, the parents may get together with the facilitator some point in the future just to help adjust any things that, that are needed in the parenting plan. Um, or it may be that the parenting plan itself 
suggests um, changes that will automatically happen over time. Um, and, and these are options that simply judges cannot do on their own. Um, and so we're, we're able to offer families more alternatives, again, better tailored alternatives for their family and their children. And I think that personalization is so important, especially when you're going through something as emotionally trying as divorce. Uh, what are some other areas that collaborative law is being used in besides in divorce? Yeah, so um, so uh, I'd be remiss if, if I didn't mention the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals, and I'm uh, a member of that organization and actually a, a board member of the organization as well. Um, and they've really promoted uh, collaborative practice worldwide. Um, and I believe that uh, they've got uh, they've got members in 28 countries, and and um, uh, and they have a uh, a yearly forum, which which brings a good group of, of people together, usually hundreds of collaborative practitioners from all over the world. But anyway, they um, uh, they promote collaborative practice in all sorts of family related um, matters, such as if. Um, if families are having disputes over a will or over um, over the estate of, of people, there's um, people. There are professionals in estate planning um, who help people resolve those issues through the collaborative process. If there's a family business where it might be dissolving or uh, or there are other issues, uh, collaborative practice is being used to resolve those. And outside of, of family law, there's all different ways. That, that collaborative practice is being used. Um, I actually, I'm not just a professional, I was a client as well. Um, I actually used the collaborative process to help resolve um, an intellectual property issue with a, a firm out of, out of California. Um, their uh, insurance, uh, uh, insurance claims have been resolved through the collaborative process. I believe there's a, a pilot program in North Carolina that, that uh, helped with that. So wherever there's a dispute, um, or wherever there's an issue to be resolved, truly there's a collaborative process that could help. And I, I'm going to pivot back to something that, that you taught us in our training, which was collaborative is about interests, not positions. And if you could explain mm -hmm. a little bit more about what that means. Yeah. Um, so so uh, one, one way to explain it is that uh, are, are that positions – are the what. When people say that they want something, they say what they want. Interests really are the why, the why they want them. And this, this comes from the Harvard Negotiation Project and, um, and other, other books um, like Getting to Yes, um, where it explains that if people are fighting over the what, the position, well, there's a good chance that they can come to an impasse and just not reach an agreement. But if they are uh, trying to figure out the underlying why, um, then they might be able to reach an agreement that works for both. And so an example might be, let's say that, that there's a house that, uh, that both spouses have been living in and they both want the house. And if one spouse wants the house and the other spouse wants the house, well, it may be that you can't resolve it if neither of them are willing to uh, move from their position. But then you might look at the why. And, and this is what we do in the collaborative process. Maybe that one spouse likes the house because it's in uh, a neighborhood that is comfortable, is familiar, there's a good school district, 
um, and uh, and the children are, are familiar with the area. And that's why the one spouse wants that house, and maybe the other spouse wants the house because it's already uh, set up to have a home office, and um, and it's it's uh, great for, uh, for for work. Well, now that you can begin looking at the why, it may be that there are other options besides that particular house that works for one or both spouses. Maybe that there's a, another house in that neighborhood, in that school district, um, that could work for the first spouse. And it may be that there's another uh, house which perhaps is in a different neighborhood or different school district, um, but has a fantastic uh, home office that may work for the second spouse. So that's that's sort of a, a brief uh, synopsis on, on interests versus positions. And, and one thing I've seen that's, that's fairly new, I would say, is that... Uh, Couples are rotating in and out of the same house. Yeah, there's there's a concept called nesting, um, and I think uh, you have to have a, a, a relatively good relationship, even as divorcing spouses. I think uh, to be able to to do the the nesting, but essentially it's where um, rather than the children going from place to place, uh, the children stay in the same home, but it's the parents who come in and come out. And so they may have a a schedule where when the mother's there. The mother um, stays there overnight, and then the uh, the father or the other parent uh, goes uh, to a different location. Maybe there's a uh, maybe they're they're staying with relatives, or maybe there's a apartment or, or some separate place. And then when an exchange takes place, the kids stay where they are. The father or the other parent goes into the home, and the mother goes somewhere else. So that that is an, an interesting thing that um, that 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 is working for some families uh, um, for for the kids. And I'm thinking also too about just the the team nature of collaborative that it really opens itself up to a lot of brainstorming of options uh, when you talk about interests and positions because we all come from different backgrounds. So we talked about you have the facilitator and the attorneys and the financial representatives and then the spouses, and everybody has a different lens that they view things through. And I find that to be very, very essential to the process. Uh, you're, you're exactly right. Um, it, it's funny I think when, as people were going through the di- traditional court process, um, it really was just a legal process. But most people who are experiencing divorce, to them, it's not so much a legal process, but it's it's a financial process, and and even more, it's an emotional process. And so, collaborative process, the the collaborative practice really recognizes that and brings in those perspectives. And the funny thing is that um, I think that working with mental health professionals and financial professionals has made me a better lawyer because I'm learning about areas as I see, um, as I see, uh, the facilitator really deal with, um, with communications between parents, uh, deal with really the emotional underpinnings of, of divorce. Um, and then similarly seeing the financial professionals in action, dealing with the tax consequences of things and really trying to increase the pie for families going through divorce. And, and likewise, I feel like uh, being part of collaborative has made me a better therapist, uh, mm-hmm. especially because I can see more of the full picture rather than just my piece. Uh, and it also, I think it's really interesting how we are all from different backgrounds and we all come together for the common good of a couple. And mm-hmm. it's a really neat thing to watch. 
And what's something, I was just wondering, what's something that, that has kind of been an unexpected positive of doing collaborative, something kind of serendipitous that you've discovered from doing collaborative? Well, what, what I've really noticed is that, um, well, first off, not, not every attorney um, has been trained in the collaborative process, and, and not, not every attorney practices collaborative process. And, and, I, and I think that's, that's, that's fine, because I think there probably are some families who would not be able to reach an agreement. I think, I think those, um, the, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the amount of those families are probably relatively narrow compared to what people probably think. So, so for those attorneys and those professionals who have been trained in collaborative process, in many ways they've been self-selected. And as I've been going along and doing more and more collaborative cases, what I find is that I get to work with people whom I truly uh, know, trust, like, and respect on a day-in and day-out basis. And that just has made my professional life a heck of a lot easier. And and I think um, that's been able to show the clients as well. You know, when, when clients have attorneys who are arguing, it's usually the clients who suffer because they end up paying a lot more and, and they uh, end up going through a much more difficult process. That just doesn't happen as much collaborative process again because there's a not an adversarial mindset but a team mindset. and um and so I, I found the benefits to myself um has been really a, a great a great surprise um and i think that that has ultimately um that has ultimately gone to the benefit of my clients as well and i would agree with you i think that having the collaborative process i've met so many people that have the same underpinning of of help that I do, which is let's make things easier for the parents and the kids. And it's really nice to be around other professionals that have that same view in mind. Uh, and mm -hmm. it's really comforting, I think, that uh, that there are accountants that are interested in children's well-being and attorneys interested in children's well-being. Uh, and also just, again, you know, making it so that the parents co-parent effectively. And, and I also want to mention, too, because I mentioned kids a lot, but, but this is a, a great option for people that don't have kids and that have shared property. Um, it's not just for people that, that are figuring out parenting plans. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, um, uh, and we, I, we've had, uh, I'd say, maybe a, a third to a half of my cases did not involve children. Um, and I think that most uh, professionals will, will find that as well. So, um, and, and yeah, it, it could be that there's been, you know, uh, extensive property accumulated through the marriage. I've, I've helped uh, families who had been married for 50 years um, dissolve their marriage. And obviously there was a lot of untangling that, that went along with that. Um, but also um, plenty of, of, of same-sex couples who, who didn't have children who uh, wanted to go through this process. Some, some were married, some were not married. Um, but they wanted to do so again to maintain their privacy and 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 to be able to uh, to to move forward in their lives without uh, without all of the fighting. And, and I uh, believe you you were in a landmark case uh, about LGBTQ plus uh, uh, relationships and collaborative, right? Or or is that? I, I, yeah, I, I was in fact um, you know several years ago, and it's 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 kind of crazy to think, um, but. Um, but Florida and the United States did not recognize the marriage between people of the same sex. And, um, and slowly throughout the United States, states that began to change. And so I had um, actually a client who came to me. Uh, she had married uh, another woman in, in Massachusetts, and they had moved to Florida. 
and she had been filed with a petition for dissolution of marriage. And when she came into my office, I looked at the petition and I thought there was a mistake because it said petitioner wife versus respondent wife. And I said, oh, you know, instead of putting wife, instead of putting husband, they put a second wife. And, and she said, no, no, we we were married in, in, in Massachusetts and, and I'm, I'm married to, to a woman. Um, and I remember telling her that I didn't know if we would be able to move forward on this because Florida didn't recognize uh, same-sex marriage at the time, and so I didn't know if they would grant a divorce. So um, I, the the woman hired me, and I recognized the other attorney. Uh, her name was Ellen Ware, and I reached out to Ellen, um, and I knew she was collaboratively trained. I asked her if if um, she she and her client would be open to do it collaboratively. She said yes. And we were actually able to resolve all of their disputes um, over um, a two-week period in two meetings. Now, that's that's actually much, much quicker than the av- uh, average collaborative case, but they, they had some time restraints that they wanted to go by. Um, anyways, uh, we reached an agreement, and we went in front of a judge, and we asked the judge to dissolve the marriage. And the judge ultimately said, no, I'm sorry, uh, Florida doesn't recognize this marriage, so I cannot grant a divorce. There is no marriage to dissolve. Uh, so we ultimately appealed. We went to the Second District Court of Appeals, and it briefly went up to the Florida Supreme Court. And as it turned out, that would be the first um, same-sex uh, divorce case to challenge both, both the uh, Florida Defense of Marriage Act and the constitutional amendment banning recognition of same-sex marriages. And ultimately, the... Um, the, the trial judge uh, from the beginning was, was told, hey, these people reached an agreement. They want a divorce. Let them divorce. And, um, uh, and I, was, I was very proud to be a part of that case. As you should. And so you are uh, a trailblazer in the legal community, uh, which I find uh, really wonderful that you represent all people uh, and, uh, and you respect diversity. And I think that's something really important, too. Uh, and what's something about collaborative that you didn't know prior to entering it that now you're, you find is kind of a surprise? And we talked about the serendipitous part, but what's something that you didn't really think would happen that has happened or something that, that has really changed your view of, of the world in general? If that's, that's kind of broad, but... <laughs> So maybe I think I probably have two answers for that, if that's okay. Um, the, 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 the first answer, um, you know, something that I really didn't know about it before I got into it, is how often it's uh, successful. And, and let, me, let me clarify here. So, um, so in the collaborative process, um, as I mentioned before, each attorney is there solely for the purpose of reaching an out-of-court agreement. So if somebody uh, voluntarily decides that they no longer want to be part of the process or otherwise file a, a court paper, then the case is terminated and, and, um, and the, you know, both, uh, both attorneys must resign and the clients can um, move forward with trial counsel if they would like and, um, and try to resolve their, um, their divorce issues a different way. And, you know, so when I first started, I thought that um, that that would um, deter a lot of people from going into the process. And I figured that um, it probably would happen all the time. But 
as I've gotten involved and as I've, I've learned about research on the collaborative process, I found here in the state of Florida, uh, people have been able to reach an agreement 92% of the time, which is an astounding statistic, which, um, which, which I never would have guessed when I first started the process. So if people enter into the collaborative process, chances are they're going to be able to reach an agreement. And chances are um, that, um, that there will never be any need uh, for, for disqualification or, or concern that their, their attorneys will no longer be able to work with them. And interestingly enough, um, that, that statistic, 92%, is um, right in line with my own statistics. Um, I found I'm at about 93%. Um, but it's also in line with the percentage of, uh, of families who resolve their, um, their divorces um, without the need uh, for having a judge find their end result. So about 80 to 90% of all non-collaborative cases end with a full agreement between the spouses rather than the judge making the final decision. Um, but, but the odd thing is that in the traditional process, because most attorneys know that there probably ultimately will be an agreement, they're going on two tracks. Number one, uh, to reach out and try to reach an agreement with the other side. But number two, uh, prepare for trial, do the opposition research, take depositions and, and other things. And those, those two tracks simultaneously being done can be very expensive. And I would suggest that most of the money goes towards the preparing for trial track rather than the, the, the settlement track. Um, and not only is it expensive, but it keeps parents in an odd adversarial uh, footing. Uh, so that's, that's not good for the family. And, and so, um, you know, so, so one big thing that, that I found in going through the collaborative process is just the, the high, high success rate and confidence when I'm speaking with clients about the collaborative process that I can't guarantee that they'll be able to reach an agreement, but chances are they will and high chances are that they will. So, um, so that's sort of on the, um, the, the one end. And then, I'd say something else that I found with the collaborative process and that, that was kind of surprising is that it's not uncommon at the end of the day when people have, um, when, when people have reached a final agreement through the collaborative process that the parents or the spouses hug or even weirder. And if you would have told me this when, um, when I was, before I started doing collaborative work, I would have said, you're crazy. Even weirder, the quote, opposing party will, um, will oftentimes hug or at least shake hands with the quote, opposing counsel. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and I would just say that that is very rare in law. If, if you're not in the legal profession <laughs> to see that, I can only imagine what your face was like the first time you saw that. <laughs> it, I, I honestly, I wasn't sure. I think I was just stopped in my tracks and I wasn't sure what to do with myself, but, uh, but it, I mean, it's, it's, it's so interesting and, and certainly not every case, um, will, will, will end like that, but a surprisingly, a, a surprising amount do. Um, and, and that, um, you know, and, and that had just is, has been such a, such an amazing thing to see, um, where, you know, I'm oftentimes thanked not just by my own client, but by the other spouse as well. Uh, for making it as easy as possible for the family. And I have a couple of questions. One is, uh, if attorneys want to be involved in the collaborative process, how do they go about doing that? And then the second question is, 
if there is someone that's going through a divorce, going through a, a possible litigation, what can they do to start pursuing the collaborative process? So two-pronged question. So first, I'll, attorneys that want to learn more about this or want to go into collaborative law, what would you suggest? Sure. So, um, so the first, the first thing, and, and by the way, not, not just attorneys, but mental health professionals and financial professionals mm-hmm. as well. Um, the, the first thing if, um, they, they should do is, um, is take a two day introductory training on the collaborative process. Um, and you can find, uh, you can find trainings around the world, um, at the website of the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals, which is collaborative practice dot com um, here here in Florida um, uh, for, for professionals there's a listing of a bunch of trainings at the Florida Academy of Collaborative Professionals website and that is um, collaborative professionals I'm sorry collaborative practice Florida dot com collaborative practice Florida dot com and finally if um, you're you're welcome to look at at the website for uh, from the trainers I'm associated with, which are the Tampa Bay Collaborative Trainers, and we we have trainings all throughout the state and beyond. Uh, we've been in in fact um, throughout Florida, but also North Carolina. Um, we've been to uh, Missouri. Um, as I mentioned, we're going to Israel. Um, but you can find more information about our trainings at TampaBayCollaborativeTrainers.com. And so for any attorneys mental health professionals and financial professionals who really are looking to help families in a better way um, or are just curious. And we oftentimes have a lot of mental health professionals who just want to see what it's all about so that they can uh, properly uh, counsel their their patients or their clients about what the collaborative process is. Um, they're welcome to attend as well. And, and I have been a student of your trainings, like I mentioned. So I, I think it's a, a very helpful group you have because you not only have attorneys but you also have uh jeremy gaze who's a a psychologist you have financial professionals so you get a very well-rounded view of the collaborative process yeah we we do uh kristen demio is our financial professional we also have david harper who's a financial professional as well as barbara kelly uh out of orlando who's, who's a mental health professional we just um uh we just uh rotate around um, in, in how we do the trainings. Um, but you're, you're right. I think it's a different experience, um, interdisciplinary learning, where you're learning and interacting with attorneys, mental health professionals, and financial professionals, just like we do in these cases. And I, I think I know for attorneys, it's a very different experience um, than when we are just doing typical continuing legal education and just amongst ourselves. And then there's my second yeah. prong of the question, which is, if there's someone that's going through a divorce, how would they go ahead and, and start looking into pursuing possibly a collaborative process? So it's it's usually a good idea for um, for uh, anybody who's going through divorce to interview um, more than one attorney. I would suggest because um, who you're going to be working with is a very personal decision, and they're going to be there um, helping you make long term um, decisions. Uh, for you, for your kids, and for your future, um, and and so it's important that you feel comfortable with with that attorney, and that that attorney can help you out um, in the way that you feel suits you best. Um, as I mentioned, not every attorney does the collaborative process, and if 
Um, if most or all of what they do is litigation, then they're probably going to lead you into the litigation model. If most or all of what they do is the collaborative process, they're probably going to uh, to lead you in, in a more peaceful, private way of, of doing things. So um, you can find a, um, a list of collaboratively trained attorneys um, for, for the local area, Hillsborough, Pinellas, Pasco, Sarasota, and Manatee counties. You can go to nextgenerationdivorce.com. And there's a, a, a directory. Um, and as well, again, um, I mentioned the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals. For folks um, out of the area, you can go to collaborativepractice.com and find an attorney or other professionals uh, just throughout the world. And, and by the way, you know, I think, I think one of the important things when you're interviewing attorneys is, number one, ask, are you collaboratively trained? And, um, and more specifically, have you gone through a two-day introductory training? Um, and also, I, I wouldn't be afraid to ask what percentage of your work is collaborative and, and how much collaborative experience do you have? Um, because, I, again, I think it's important for, for the, the clients to know what is the, um, what is the uh, philosophy of the attorney, what is the professional orientation um, of the attorney so they know really what they're getting. And in summary, what are some suggestions you would have uh, for people that are interested in collaborative law and they're, they're not quite sure, they're kind of on the fence? What could, what's something that you could say to them to encourage them or to just sum up the powerful nature of the collaborative process? Yeah, so, um, so the first thing I would say is that if, um, you know, oftentimes when people are going through the collaborative process, they um, can express um, or, or at least uh, really move forward in loving their children more than they're angry at their spouse. And so if kids, if your kids are paramount to you, I would really consider um, the collaborative process in, in which, um, in, in, when thinking about your various options. And perhaps one way, if, you're, if you don't um, uh, want to see a, an attorney first, um, most attorneys will, will offer consultations. Um, you can oftentimes uh, select a, a collaborative facilitator, a mental health professional, and you can speak with that person or you can either by yourself or with your spouse. And they could tell you about the collaborative process. And I found that, that most of the time um, the, the parents or the spouses feel a whole lot better about making the choice to, to go through the collaborative process once they've spoken with a facilitator. And like you mentioned, facilitators have training in mental health. They usually have training in child development. Uh, so they know uh, different stages that children go through. So it, it really helps keep everybody on the same page you know, for the betterment of their kid. And I, I really like the way you said that, uh, loving your children more than your anger with your spouse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and look, you know, the truth is um, there, there's going to be mistrust. There's going to be anger. Um, pe people are going through divorce. Those are, those are very natural feelings. Um, but being able to deal with those emotions with the help of, um, with, with a trained professional, um, it makes all the difference in the world in, um, in, in family law cases. And, and for me, I'm, I'm finding even now in my non-collaborative cases, I much prefer uh, bringing in a, a, a mental health professional and having clients work with that person. And I, I used to say to clients all the time when uh, they were speaking with me about all of the things that their spouse 
have done and, and, and really, um, you know, expressing anger. You know, I used to say to them that, look, it's, it's probably less expensive and more production, more productive uh, for you to speak about these things with a therapist rather than me, because unfortunately, the law doesn't really take these things into account. Um, but now, rather than, than saying that, um, you know, what I, what I can do is I can uh, immediately bring the client to the facilitator, have them have more productive discussions, and help them figure out, well, what is, what is the best way, what is the best thing to do with these feelings um, and these emotions, and how can we help them move forward so that they can, um, they can move forward in their lives. And I think especially in the team aspect of it, uh, facilitators will move things along when, when people uh, tend to, you know, I, I think everybody's got hot button issues in their relationship. And when you hit one of those, uh, facilitators help people kind of get over that speed bump, uh, whether it's by taking a break or it's by uh, sometimes people just want to be acknowledged and validated. And I found that to be a, a really important part of the, of the process. So, um, Stephanie, the funny thing is that when people are fighting over the lamp and, you know, perhaps spending thousands of dollars and, and a lot of time fighting over a lamp, I learned from your profession that they're probably not fighting over the lamp. They're not fighting over the lamp. Yeah, there's probably something deep-seated there. And, and really what, what, uh, what you facilitators are, are great at um, is helping clients get over the emotional clutter that's blocking them from reaching an agreement. And, you know, and there's a lot of different techniques um, that, that the facilitators use, like, um, you know, it may be taking breaks. It may be um, ha- have being validated or, or allowing people to um, express ways in a, in a more productive way. Um, but it, it's, it's helpful um, not just, not just to, to help clients um, move forward in their lives, but to make the whole process itself less expensive. And that's something else I didn't realize is the use, because divorce is such an emotional process, that when you bring in facilitators uh, with, with that, um, that psychological background, or, uh, mental health background, um, it really does um, speed things up allows people to process things more quickly, um, and ultimately costs clients less. Right, and I think that's one of the main features, too, is that you wind up spending a lot less money when you don't litigate. Mm-hmm. A- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, usually hearing on top of hearing on top of hearing. So um, when you know, oftentimes when people want documents in the litigation process, they'll file a request for production, uh, or they'll have their attorney file the request for production of documents. The opposing counsel will uh, provide some documents but file objections. Then they'll go to court over those objections. Um, then there will be a, a motion to uh, uh, compel. They'll file. Uh, then they'll set another hearing on the motion to compel. And then possibly if, if somebody doesn't uh, follow orders, there will be a motion for contempt. And they'll um, and they'll set a hearing on the motion for contempt, and then they'll set another motion for attorney's fees and have a hearing on that. Um, so that is very different than the collaborative process, where if I want documents from the other spouse or from the other attorney, I just ask, and that's it, give it. And so, as you can imagine, um, that 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 certainly um, that that decreases the cost. And and I don't I don't want to give the impression that um, that the collaborative process is um, is an inexpensive process. It's it's not. It's you know uh, it it costs money. Divorce costs money. 
um, but it certainly is a whole lot more efficient and in most cases a whole lot less expensive than litigation cases. Right. And psychologically, I think both people are healthier after the collaborative process as well. And, and you just really can't put a price tag on that because that means healthier kids. And also, I think looking in the future, too, when you have people that co-parent effectively, your kids are going to possibly have healthier relationships when they're older. And I think that's something that we really need to look at is how the impact of having an acrimonious divorce, how it leads to possibly issues in the future for kids and forming their own relationships and intimacy. So so that's just something to look at, too, is that when you co-parent effectively, your kids are healthier in the long run, even later on in their adult lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And, and I think that um, that when they see their parents fighting, it, it I, I agree. And I've, I've actually seen writings that, that you've made that it affects not only possibly the kids' relationship with the parents, but also possibly the kids' relationship with their future partners. Um, and, and that can have a damaging effect. And, and one, one other thing as well that, you know, through the traditional litigation process, people oftentimes lobby some of the worst, terrible accusations against the other parents. Mm-hmm. And, um, and sometimes those accusations are true. Sometimes those accusations are not true. But one thing that parents really should consider, and honestly, attorneys should consider when determining what to file, even in in, in litigation cases, is that children can access those public files decades later. Mm -hmm. So they can see those accusations that the parents um, uh, threw at at, at the other one. And that can just have a devastating effect on, um, on adult children and on their relationships as well. Absolutely. And, and I noticed, too, that when we were talking at one of the trainings, you know, how many of us have divorced parents? I think it was a majority of the professionals in the room had divorced parents. So you know, we want things to go smoothly for because people are going to get divorced. There's no question about that. It happens. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that collaborative not only lessens the stigma of it, but I think also uh, you're working with people for a large majority of them have had divorced parents or have been through divorce. And so they know firsthand how to how to make it a little bit smoother for you. And I think that kind of experience is invaluable. I, I, I think so. And and um, uh, and and I also, you know, I've heard a theory out there that people and I don't know whether it's true or not, but it makes sense that people who have gone through the collaborative divorce process um, are less likely to divorce than in their future marriages. Um, Oh, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, and and, and it's because, you know, for the first time, they've got, um, they they have more open communication with each other. Mm -hmm. um, And they learn how to resolve disputes without um, running to the courts. Um, and so that, that can help them with their dispute resolution skills as they're entering into a, a, a second or third marriage. Right. I think they go into the marriage, too, uh, more hopeful uh, because you know, if, and if it doesn't work out, you have this process that, that is really uh, embracing of cooperation, embracing of uh, well-being of, of the people and their children. So it's, it's a really wonderful process uh, and has helped thousands of people uh, come to agreements uh, where, again, it's for the betterment of themselves and for their kids. So, so. Yeah, and, well, a- absolutely. And interestingly enough, I've, I've also seen it work on, on the um, other end as well, where, um, where people will have come for me 
uh, will have come to me for a divorce and we um, ultimately the spouses agree to enter into the, the collaborative process. Um, but along the way, because they're communicating in a way better than they have before, they reconcile uh-huh. and um, and they they've done so not not in in huge rates but certainly in larger rates um, than I found in in the tr- traditional process because you know traditionally the first thing that an attorney would do once a client uh, once a client retained them was uh, draft a petition which had a whole bunch of accusation accusations in it um, then hire a process server have them served either have the other person served either at home or, or at work and that really amounted to a declaration of war. Whereas in the collaborative process, that's not really what we do. And because we're approaching it in such a different way, it opens up the space much more than the traditional process of reconciliation. And I really like that the way you said that it opens up the space. It opens up options. It opens up areas of well-being in the future. And uh, I think that it's something that hopefully more people will do in the future. And I'm really glad that we have attorneys like yourself that, that specialize in this, uh, because I, I think the more that people learn about it, the, the healthier we're all going to be because everybody's going to go through life events uh, where they're going to need uh, additional help. And so this is one of the options available. So, so thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Hey, Stephanie, thank you so much. And if, if people want to learn a, a, a little bit more about my practice, they can go to www.familydiplomacy.com. Again, that's www.familydiplomacy.com. And if professionals want to learn a little bit more about collaborative practice and and how to really build their collaborative practice and help families in a better way, uh, they can find my my book at the American Bar Association website, uh, which is shopaba.org. And again, my, my book is Building a successful collaborative family law practice. Um, and I believe they can also find it on Amazon and, and other places where books are sold. And it definitely is on Amazon because I just saw it on there. So thank you again, Adam. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Stephanie. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And that concludes our episode. Thanks uh, very much to Adam Cordover for sharing his experiences in collaborative practice and collaborative law. And again, he can be found at familydiplomacy.com. And I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Sarkis, and I can be found at stephaniesarkis.com. And thanks again for joining us and hit that subscribe button and also take some time out to rate us. And that would be very appreciated. Thank you and have a great day.